Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Gassing Out Loud, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol Rovers reporter Jack Vittles. Yes, welcome along to the latest Gassing Out Loud podcast with myself, Michelle Owen, and Jack Vittles. We'll let you in on a little secret. The recording of this podcast this week has not been straightforward. So we were all done and dusted, and then a couple of hours later, the transfer news about Billy Bowden came in. So we'll start by talking about that, and later on we'll come on uh, to talk about the owners, what's being done about the state of the men pitch at the moment, and of course the festive fixtures and how Bristol Rovers have fared. So Jack, we're here, we've made it. Billy Bowden has gone. When we first recorded the podcast, we both said we thought he was going. We've been proved right, but were you surprised by the timing of this? Yeah, I think a little bit. I think most fans will be surprised with the timing. Not the fact that Bowden's gone. I think everybody saw it as pretty inevitable that he was going to go in this transfer window contract up and Rovers needed to take the money, I suppose, and go for a free. But yeah, the timing's a little odd, isn't it? You know, three days into the transfer window, could they wait a little bit longer and maybe start a bidding war and got some more money? Um, you know, the hope is that the fee they've received, undisclosed, is a, is a good fee. Um, I've spoken to the Rovers chairman, Steve Hamer, today. He's seems very happy with the fee they've got for him. Do you know roughly what that fee was? Well, it's been reported in Lancashire, it's around 400, 500k. Um, and we said, didn't we, we said yesterday, when we first recorded <laughs> the Lara Dundon podcast, we said that we'd expect between 300 to 500,000. Yeah, we? so Hamer's confirmed that it is more than they received from Matty Taylor, which you know is, is thought to be around 300,000 for his release clause. So it's probably around the half million pound mark. Um, Hamer seemed pretty pleased with the deal they got. Um, but you think they could have done better? Well, I don't know. I just, I just think perhaps selling on the third of January, they may have undersold themselves. But again, Hayden was very confident. He says they've done, they've heard, they've done their homework. They've spoken to other clubs. They knew what Bowden was worth. That was met, um, and they were well, not happy to see him go. But they were, you know, they made made peace with the decision. Um, and he wanted to go. He, he was looking, you know, at his contract options for a year, which sort of says okay, he was ready to move on. Yeah, absolutely. Good, you know, he's been a good servant to the club. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's flourished for the club the last two years. They've been really good to him. He's been good to them. It's been a good relationship. And yeah, Bowden was represented by the PFA um, for a couple of years. He was still contracted to be registered, to be represented with them, sorry, until July this year, 2018. Um, but when the club were offering contracts to Bowden, they were informed that the PFA weren't really representing him anymore. He was self-representing, um, which then meant he wasn't really... Uh, Sort of entertaining the offers that were being made by Rovers. Four separate contract right. offers that were made in the last six months. Each one improved, according to Rovers. So it was very clear that Bowden wanted to make that move. And although Rovers fans would be sad to see him go, you can't really begrudge him a move. It is a step up. It's a league up. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger club uh, playing a ninth to tenth for the championship at the moment. So in theory, it's a shot at Premier League football next mm-hmm. season, isn't it? So you can't begrudge him his move. But I'm sure Rovers fans will be upset to see him go. And obviously the big worry and the big thought going forward now is who are they going to get to replace him mm. and that's the only good thing about selling him early they have got, what, got to do it. and they've yeah. got the money as well so how do you think they are going to reinvest that money well the first question is hopefully they're going to you know, Daryl Clark get the money from the Bowdoin sale Hamer seemed pretty confident that was going to happen which is good news um, and obviously January is a very difficult time to buy so let's say they've got half a million pounds for Bowdoin where do they invest that do they go all out and pick up another number 10 
slash winger for half a million and, and put their eggs in one basket do they see it as let's go and get you know, two players at a quarter of a million and Bowden and Phil filled sort of two roles in that team yeah because we were saying weren't we when yesterday when we were talking that the roles that needed filling were the roles that needed filling even were the wing slots and possibly a centre back but now you've got Bowden's position to fill and like you say he was a versatile player so it's a difficult conundrum for, for Daryl Clark well absolutely they needed at least one winger before Bowden goes now they need at least two um, and you're looking again, like I said at number 10 sort of player there aren't many of them around um, you know I've seen a few names that have been touted on by fans but Christian Doidge at Forest Green Rovers and Billy Key at Atkinson who scores goals but it's so difficult to play in January unless the player is coming out of contract in the summer like Bowden was so Rovers are going to face I think a real battle to get some quality in it may end up being loan signings fingers crossed it won't be um, but at the very least they have given themselves four weeks now to try and get their act together I know uh, the chairman is going to meet with Daryl this afternoon Thursday afternoon um, to discuss transfers and should, how that should be Should we be worried that anyone else could be going? Anyone in the first team eleven? Well, let's hope. I mean, that's the. You know, I think Bowden was the inevitable one. Yeah, we all saw that coming. That's when the cards the summer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a worry that some of the better players may get sort of picked out of the club now. But if we take what Daryl Clark said on Monday after the game was true, that he doesn't want to sell his best players, obviously Bowden, I'm sure, is an exception because of the contract situation then he's not going to want to sell the likes of you know, Harrison and Lockyer and Circle, players like that. The good news is that you know, they're under contract at least. Um, so we'll wait and see. But it's, it's going to be a, a bit of a nervy time now. At least there's a little gap mm. for the next game as well. We should yeah. see some new players. Well, we, a weekend off. So do you think by next weekend we could see some new players even starting for Bristol Rovers? Because Daryl Clark, has he, has he dropped any names to you? I guess he wouldn't drop any names, would he? But has he dropped any hints of, of what could be happening? Not overly. The only, the only thing he has said is that he was sort of earmarking this little gap and hopefully trying to get a couple in um, obviously that gap has now shrunk we're down to just over a week now mm. um, until the next game so it's going to be harder and harder to get that player in or two players in before the game but with Bowden going it just it proves how important that is and you're looking mm. at the likes of people like Byron Moore who's come back into the side to fill a role on wide or a youngster like Ryan Broom to come in and they're good players but they're nowhere near the class of Billy Bowden but 24 hours ago, we were saying Byron Moore would definitely be going in this window, yeah, wouldn't we? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. And that is what everybody thought. You know, they're going to cut some of the fringe players, save on the wage budget. Obviously, Bowden was on decent money at Rovers. He's going to be on much better money at Preston, but it does free up some of the wage budget. Um, and I, I don't know whether we'll see Byron Moore leaving until Rovers get a replacement in, just on numbers more than anything else. I mean, to have squad so depth. All of a sudden, the picture's changed because of one key player, and it shows just how important Billy Bowden was. When we talked yesterday, we said, would Rovers sort of cut their losses and keep Bowden if they were worried about perhaps being dragged further down the table? We didn't think that was, you know, too much of a concern. We, I think we both thought that yeah. if he went, Rovers would cope. But, you know, if we're thinking next Saturday they haven't got anyone else in, who would you see coming into that role straight away? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I think they'll have to change formation. I think they'll have to, to mix things up, go two up top, play Gaffin Harrison up there. As opposed to playing what they normally play with, you know, one out and out striker and maybe the Nichols out wide or a Bowden out wide or even Sinclair out wide. I think they're going to have to go with a 4 4 2, but then obviously they haven't got any wingers. So you're going to end up with a 4 4 2 with four central midfielders, which they have played at times and it hasn't gone too well. Um, but unless they bring players in, I can't see many other options unless Daryl goes left field and brings in something like Ryan Broom to start. I think that'll be his first league start for the club mm. or Byron Moore. Byron Moore's not played for two months. It, mm. However they attack it, it's fraught with you know danger and gamble. Yeah. So the best case scenario is obviously they get somebody in sharpish. Yeah. 
bed them in and they do really well and they, they move on and they almost forget about Bowling by the end of the month but we'll have to wait and see it's a, it's a difficult one isn't it so in terms of, of those coming in then we'll keep an eye out hopefully for a winger at least coming in now and we've talked about the central defender perhaps coming in there's a, there's a need in that position as well we'll keep an eye on Jack what your Twitter handle is uh, just at Jack Vittles just my name yeah. um, the Bristol Post Bristol is, Rovers yeah thing. so we're at Bristol P Rovers and at Bristol Post as well we're on Facebook at Bristol Rovers Bristol Post and uh, yeah online obviously I will keep a close eye on that now then because in the next week or so it could be a crucial time yeah, for absolutely. Rovers in this transfer window so let's move on then um, one word I wanted to float to you Jack about Rovers form this year is inconsistent is that a fair summary of the first half of the season yeah absolutely yeah no I think so a lot of the a lot of the players and Daryl himself and people in the media like myself and that we've all been saying it's been inconsistent pretty much all season they've had little runs here and there losing runs as well Um, but since Boxing Day they've got those three results two Mm. draws and a win a pretty tough set of fixtures they had between Christmas and New Year you know, two away trips as well. But yeah, inconsistent, definitely. Not as good as they would have wanted to be, especially given the, the strengthening they did in the summer mm. um, all the way back then. So yeah, inconsistent, definitely. You look at the amount of defeats they've had. They've, they've started drawing a few games as well, which obviously helps. But certainly uh, consistency is what they'll be looking for in the new year. Absolutely. We know they're better in the second half of the season traditionally, so we'll come on to that in a minute. But Saturday the 23rd of December, a couple of weeks ago, going into Christmas, it did feel a bit doom and gloom around Bristol Rovers, didn't it, after that defeat to Doncaster at home? That that was not a good performance, was it? No, not at all. And they, they went down 1-0 there just before Christmas. I think that was some, it was something like 10 defeats in 14 games in all competitions, which, you know, is, is, a, is a terrible run. You know, they're not even picking up draws there. Mm. Losing 10 out of 14. Um, and things just didn't feel great around the club. I think Darrell missed that match as well um, with illness. There was a bit of illness around the camp. Luckily, they could all play, but you know things just weren't going particularly in Rovers' favour. And it's so unusual for a manager to miss a game, so he must have been quite poorly. Yeah, absolutely. It's the first. This time wasn't just man flu. No, no, exactly. It's the first time he's ever done it. I saw him on Boxing Day as well. And he still wasn't well. He was, you know, screaming instructions on the touchline, but coughing at the same time, and he he just looked really under the weather. Um, he seems to have recovered a bit now, uh, and thankfully so have Rovers. So they yeah they picked up those five points now. It's nothing. Amazing five points for three games at all, but I think the two away draws particularly will reflect well the bit of resilience there, the picking up draws the first time in yeah, months. Yeah. So there's a little bit of backbone there to build upon, you know, going into what 2018 now. But such a positive um, on New Year's Day. What a good start to the new year. Not many people have seen Bristol Rovers beating Portsmouth, even though it was at home. I think a draw would have been an okay result then, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what game to start 2018 with? It was. Yeah, real great last 10 minutes. I think going into that game, like you say, a lot of people wouldn't have expected Rovers to get much. Coming off the back of two draws, Portsmouth have won five of their last six, coming into really good form. And you just you look at their team on paper, mm. um, their starting 11 anyway, and it just looks really strong. Brett Pittman there and players like that, Matty Kennedy, used to be at Cardiff, a yeah, really he's, good he's player. he's a great player. Yeah, he looked really good again on Saturday. And although Rovers had a lot of the ball in the first half, they had low and Kennedy out wide and they were just picking Rovers off. And it felt a little bit like they were probably going to score the first goal, mm. even though Rovers had more of the ball and a bit more territory as well. Um, but thankfully, got Harrison and Sirkham off the bench, got their act together and um, all turned around in the last 10 minutes and it was, it was brilliant. I want to give some praise to Liam Sirkham. Not an unsung hero because he does get praise and I've seen that you've been talking to him. But he has been fantastic for Bristol Rovers this season and actually they'd be a, a lot worse off without him and his goals. Yeah, absolutely. I think nine now this season from midfield. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? And... Probably, well, no, definitely their best signing from the summer now. You look at the money they got him for, pretty cheap. 
um, to come in, steal him from a side in your division, bring him in. He's played 32 games already. It's only just January. Mm. He's fit. He's hungry. He's at the right age as well. He's 27. He's, he's just somebody in his prime. He's coming to his peak, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when he's playing like this, he's, he's good enough to go and play for a championship side. So the fact that he's doing the business for Rovers is, is brilliant. Great to see. And you got to talk to him recently. I know the, the post... Uh, Article is up on the Bristol Post website at the moment, but how does he come across to you? Yeah, really down to earth, nice guy. Actually, we spoke to him after the match on New Year's Day, and he was sort of talking us through his celebrations for the goal, and that he went a bit, he went a bit, he went a bit crazy. <laughs> he he, he did sort of almost lose himself, didn't he? Yeah, I think he sort of he forgot where he was, but uh, he went a bit crazy, and he said he had family and friends in, and that's understandable. Um, it's good to see that passion, though. Well, absolutely, and that's the thing. I think how quickly he's become one of the fans' favourites. I think yeah. they can see how hard he's trying. He seems to have um, got a loyalty to the club really quickly. He's only mm. been here you know, six months, but he already seems to be uh, singing from the same hymn sheet as Daryl Clark and the rest of the team. Um, and he's just a great team player. He seems popular around the squad as well, and he's, he's, he's a nice bloke to talk to. And he started on the bench, but was that purely because of squad rotation? And this, Let's be honest, I, I want to say this now. This schedule is ridiculous. Yeah, it's bonkers. It is absolutely bonkers. Um, um, and Sirkin was on the bench because of that, wasn't he? Yeah, it? absolutely. So they played four games in nine days across Christmas. Um, now, look, I'm not saying I feel sorry for football players. I think they live the dream. They're on decent money. And it's what a lot of young boys and girls dream of doing when they grow up. However, on the body, it's ridiculous because we were both saying that when you get to New Year's Day, when we go and cover these games, you can see the fatigue in yeah, these absolutely. players. How is a schedule like that productive for or conducive for entertaining football? Yeah, it's not, is it? And the, the thing that irritates me as well is, OK, you've got a 46-game season, that's fine, you've got to play those games, but there's no reason they couldn't spread them out a little bit more. You know, as a punter, you, you want to go and see an entertaining match. You're mm. not going to see many entertaining matches in that week between Christmas and New Year on horrible, heavy, wet pitches, players who are tired, players who are injured... Mm. Um, I just think, you know, I'm all for... I think Daryl Clark went bang on on Boxing Day. I'm all for Boxing Day matches, all for New Year's Day matches, traditional, great. But what's the point in between? Yeah, absolutely. Why, why do Rovers need to be dragged to Oldham on the 30th on a, on a Saturday in the pouring rain on a heavy pitch? And play two days later. Yeah, exactly. Play less than 48 hours later, having travelled, I don't know what it is, 300 mile round trip to Oldham, yeah, probably six, seven way. hours, eight hours on a coach. Um, it's not conducive to good football. It's not good for the players' fitness and it's not good as a fan. You're not going to get entertaining games. And... Actually, just, just, I know it's a bit of a curveball and a bit off topic from Bristol Rovers, but the season could be extended, couldn't it? Because if you look at May, the playoffs are so spaced out through May, they could put them a bit closer together and we could go on to sort of two-thirds of the way through May, couldn't we? Because yeah. we finish sort of straight off in May and the weather's better and yeah. fans would enjoy it more. No, Is that not just a logical thing for the Football League to do? Probably, but that means they won't do it, doesn't it? I, it <laughs> I know the World it, Cup and things have to be considered yes, as well. Yeah, they do this year. Um, and they have their reasons, but... but I, the, the season, the League One season last year finished on, I think it was April the 30th. Yes, it you know, did, It yeah. didn't even get to May. I think um, May the 6th, perhaps. Oh, no, yeah, no, it was April the 30th, because yeah. May the 6th was League Two, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's weird as well. Yeah, so I'm not really sure, so it won't change, will it? But, um, you know... We but can, we can have a moan. We can moan, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll be sat here this time next year saying exactly the same. But credit to Bristol Rovers then. They've come through what has been a very congested time. Those five points from three games isn't terrible. Now, looking ahead to uh, the weekend, no match this weekend because of the FA Cup. So this is actually a really good chance for Bristol Rovers to take stock and take a breather, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think the rest comes at the perfect time. They've got 12 days without a match, which I haven't checked, but it must be the longest period since mm. the season started without a match quite comfortably. 
Um, and they got Blackpool away yeah. uh, week Saturday. So they've got time now, yeah, like you say, to take stock, look back on what they've done well, what they haven't done well. You know, we might see a couple of new faces by Blackpool, you never know. So it's a good chance to take stock, see where they can go in the second half of the season. And, um, you know, the second half of the season started three games ago, they're unbeaten. So that's the sort of mentality they've got to have. Now that's positive. And why do you think it is, you know, previous, I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but why do you think it is in the second half of the season that Bristol Rivers seem to get their act together? Yeah, no idea. I've tried, I've asked people this as well. I've asked Daryl Clark, I've asked players... Um, they don't really know and, and the players are aware of it themselves because they've brought it up without me prompting them um, they know their record is much better December onwards particularly at home do you think it's a mental thing now as we go into the new year do you think they're thinking um, right this is our time this is perhaps, when traditionally yeah. we do well yeah, it I, is weird though it is very bizarre I don't think that they're trying any less harder before no, but maybe no, they're absolutely. maybe the yeah the idea of a clean slate going into 2018 now they've got one win out of one you can see it like that can't you you can build from there the fixtures like we say are a bit more spaced out now is it that confidence thing do you think yeah absolutely I think they're they've shown the last three seasons they're a club when they get on a roll they stay on a roll yes, yeah. so you know they've won two promotions off the back of it um, I'm not saying they're going to win ten in a row now but if they can get on a little unbeaten run they are the sort of club that gets a bit of a bit of momentum behind them particularly at home and the gates start increasing and the crowd's loud so Okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. So, 26 games into the season now. I want your prediction, and we'll come back to this in <laughs> May. I want your prediction for where Bristol Rovers... I mean, I'm completely putting you on the spot, because we haven't talked about this before, but where do you think Bristol Rovers are going to end up? Currently, 32 points from 26 games. They're sat right in the middle with that pack at the moment, 14th. Now, <laughs> it's actually not, not far at all up to the playoffs. It's eight or nine points. No. But below them... Again, it's a, it's a similar difference. So they really are smack in the middle. Is this a fair reflection on where they're going to finish? Are they going to make a push for the playoffs? It's not unfeasible. But then again, you look at the teams up there, your Portsmouth, Bradford City, and then look at the top, Wigan and Shrewsbury just pulling away, aren't they? So yeah. would you say best case scenario is perhaps the last playoff place? Yeah, I mean, those top five look pretty nailed on um, the way it is now. There's a seven-point gap between fifth and sixth. If, you know, if you've got to nail your colours to the mast, I think they'll finish about ninth or tenth. I think they'll come good, but I just think it's a, it's a step too far to get into the top six with the, the start to the season they've had and with the strength of the other teams in there. Like I said, that top five are going to stay there. Yeah. And then you look at the teams that compete for sixth, and you know Port, Portsmouth who we played on Saturday. Charlton. You know, yeah, there's really good teams. Peter are really good as well. So I think maybe the playoffs are... I mean, they're not completely beyond them. I'm not ruling it out just to cover my back but I don't think they'll get there um, and I can't see them getting pulled into any real relegation worry. Saying, should they be looking over their... their the shoulders because they're only um, I mean, a few points away from it, the bottom it changes very quickly and before when these, I say the bottom I mean the bottom four yeah yeah before these three games obviously the worry was you look over your shoulder oh you're only four points off the bottom four but it's only five points now though because Wimbledon yeah, 27 points no, they picked up that win I know I, but I just I just think you know there are four worst teams and Rovers in this league from what I've seen that might be from the first <laughs> time, but there are there are four worst teams and yeah. Rovers in this league Okay. And I've seen them play. Yes, you have. You have seen them play. I've only seen a couple of them play. So, Jack, we'll take your word over mine. But with this busy schedule, the grounds people at the MEM have been working really hard. And what we're about to say next is not a criticism of them whatsoever, because we know that they are doing their absolute best. However, the state of the pitch at the MEM is not conducive for good football, is it? No, not at all. It's a real issue. It's, um, it's looked bad for about, I'd say, six weeks. And then just the last two or three weeks, obviously, we've had a lot of rain and it's been cold and there's been a lot of games. So that's not conducive to a great pitch. But even so, it is bad. It cuts up badly. It looks bad before games. It looks bad during and after games. Um, and the issue is, I think, you know, they, they laid this new pitch in the summer. No, I thought this would stop these problems. Well, I think that was the plan. I, don't, I think it hasn't all gone to plan, obviously, with 
I'm not an expert on soil or anything, but whatever, <laughs> you know, the, the, the sand they All put right, underneath. Alright, Alan Titchmarsh, here yeah, we go. Yeah, exactly. So, whatever they put underneath the soil, the sand and things, it hasn't taken too well. It doesn't look great. Um, I would assume they're going to try and rectify it in the summer. There's Again? Not, yeah. It's, it's a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot they can do in the season. Um, they've changed the ground staff. I know the new guys have come in and they're, they're trying their best. And I, I was there about two hours before kickoff on Saturday and they were doing all sorts to it with spades and they were cutting bits out and relaying bits and it was a military operation um, but sadly it's not great and Daryl's apologised to opposition teams who come there now saying he knows it's not great um, but that is the state of the pitch both teams have to play on it and I think they've got to get on with it really sadly It's a good job though there isn't a match this weekend let's be honest after Storm Eleanor oh, and all the bad yeah, weather we've had exactly. in the West Country will they even get a game on it at the moment do you think with this terrible weather we've uh, had? That's a good point I don't know it looked ropey before Saturday Is there and a then, danger of games being called off? Um, I don't know I don't know I, I'd like to think not because that work they did in the couple of hours leading up to the game really did make a difference. And it was a lot of it was sort of where the linesman run as well looked awful. That always is bad on a lot of pitches at the moment, yeah, isn't it? So. Exactly. So and they've got a couple of weeks now without a home game. So fingers crossed mm. it'll get a bit drier and um you know they can sort it out a little bit. But it's it's a thankless task. As you say, that is by the way, absolutely no criticism in any way to the groundspeople that work their socks off at the moment, don't they? Absolutely. Like you said, like a miniature operation to try and get that pitch in order. Uh, it sounds like they're fighting a little bit of a losing battle, but credit to them for Forgetting these games on at the moment because you see, actually, some matches across the country have been called off this season yeah, already. Absolutely. And obviously, Scotland's an obvious one, isn't it? So let's be grateful we're not experiencing their weather. Definitely. So let's just talk about transfers again for a second. I know we've said that the chairman has said that Bristol Rovers should have the money to reinvest from Billy Bowden's sale. Daryl Clark should have that money. But with the current owners and their financial situation, surely Daryl Clark is going to be given a little bit of money to play with hopefully that's the that's the, that's the why, why wouldn't he be well exactly that's the problem isn't it P- people want him to be given a, a massive war chest to go out there and sign players and i understand exactly why they think that um but i think he's he knows his budget now he said he knows his budget i think it's uh a budget that will allow him to bring in two or three players i don't think it's gonna break the bank i don't think it's gonna be a, a shockingly high budget at all um, which you can kind of understand given rover's position in the league are they gonna go up are they gonna go down maybe he's saving money for the summer but then, but then if they what invest are you saving now, your money for? Yeah. yeah. So, so if, if they were to invest now, which with the owner Bristol Rovers have, seems like a no-brainer, like why is he here if not? If you're into invest now, and let's say Bristol Rovers don't go up, don't go down, okay, it's not a nothing season, but it's just another season in League One, and we know what Daryl Clark's ambitions are to make them a championship side. If you bring in those signings now, that's plenty of time to bet in, gel as a team, perhaps get a few more in, in summer, and make a real push for promotion next season. It, Surely that's what they've got to do. Yeah, no, you're not wrong at all. And I think if they can bring in quality in January and they can afford it with the wages that they're willing to pay, then they'll bring it in. But January is such a horrible time to sign players. And Mm. Clark said before, the club have got to raise their wages if they want to attract best players and if they want to keep their best players. So why are they not raising wages when they've got a guy in charge, or sorry, a guy who owns the club, who has quite a large back pocket. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that I think people obviously see the owner come in, Jordanian, banking family, must have millions. Um, but why is he here if he's not putting money into the club? It's a good question, isn't it? You know, is he, is he here to be How a, much has he put in already? Well, he's, I think they've said something like £12 million is what he said. So, you can understand why fans are frustrated. You can understand why they want to see money spent on stadium development ASAP. You can understand why they want to see money spent on players. I think that they would argue that they spent money on players in the summer and it didn't necessarily work out with all of them. Uh, you know, Nichols was the most expensive signing. It hasn't it really paid school. off. Yeah. Um, 
It's tough, and you can understand. I've spoken to Darrell before, and he's mentioned about the salary cap that exists, where you can only spend 60% of your turnover on wages. So they're locked in on that, whatever their turnover is. They have to, you know, they spend 60% on wages. So if they increase their turnover, their wage budget isn't going to go up. And, and how do you increase your turnover? You get a bigger stadium. Exactly. And that's the problem now. They haven't got the means yeah. to increase that non match day revenue, which is what UE Stadium was supposed to bring. It was supposed to bring in corporate opportunities, hosting opportunities mm. that bring in serious money for not a lot of effort once you've got the facility. And just then, the mum just doesn't have those facilities, does it? Really? No, not at all. Not at all. And, you know, there's little events here and there you see they are trying and they've got the new commercial director in as well. And they are definitely making an effort on that side of things. And there's been a rapid professionalisation of the backroom staff from the conference days. Um, colossal backroom staff with youth squads, development squads. But is it not like, for this is a bit of a weird analogy, but is it not like having a five-star Michelin chef in a tiny kitchen in a bungalow? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I can come yeah, I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I just if think... you look at clubs, right, Southampton used to be in League One. If you, I don't know if you've been down there, but if you go down there, their training facilities are exquisite, phenomenal, amazing. Look where they've got with the money they've invested. So why is Wildcardy come in and seemingly at the moment not doing a lot, particularly financially? Again, they'll argue they have done plenty. There's going to be some redevelopment of the men in the summer and they'll say they've spent on players as well. And like I say, that backroom staff's increased. But I can understand frustrations, absolutely. And if I was a, a fan, just a punch on the terraces, I would be saying, you know, get your checkbook out, crack on. But I think you've got to bear in mind that it's a business venture. I think for the Alcardi family, it's not... They're not there to be a charity. They're not there necessarily. No, absolutely. To, but you've got to invest to get back, right? Absolutely. To make money, you've got to invest money. Mm. So I think fans will continue to bang that drum for a long time yet until they see some serious investment on the playing side of things and with the stadium redevelopment as it is now. Um, and until that happens, they're going to just keep yeah, keep banging that drum. But what if he what, what if he doesn't do that? Do you see what I'm saying? Like I'm sorry to sound like a bit like a stuck record, but he, how long has he been in the owner Since now? Since February, I was going to say last year, 2016. So almost two years. Almost two years, and we haven't really seen any specific investment into the ground. You know, players. Okay, there was some money spent in summer, and you'd hope that the purse strings are opened a little bit in January. But you know, how how long yeah. is this relationship going to continue? Then it is interesting. I think a small section of fans have not turned on the owners, but have started questioning the owners heavily. Um, and you know, they've made investments with. They made investments on the pitch in the summer and it just didn't turn out very well. Um, and the you same, have to give credit for that. They did, they did put in the money for the players. Yeah. But the wider picture is the training ground and it is the stadium. Yes, absolutely. Now, and the stadium deal fell through, obviously, um, yeah. and they're now looking to redevelop. I think fans will be frustrated with the long timeline that's been given on the stadium, as in there hasn't been one in the redevelopment of it. They're doing really minor cosmetic things in the summer. Um, which could have been done anyway. But why, why don't they, you know, I'm I'm sorry if this is a bit green and naive, but why are they not applying then to redevelop the stands? So, you know, to make them better, to have the facilities there, to have conferences, to have parties and, and whatever goes on in football grounds when football matches aren't, aren't on. Yeah, I can't tell you what the delay is personally, but I can only say what I think they'll be thinking, which is that obviously they've got to satisfy the council, they've got to satisfy the residents, yeah, they've yeah. got to get that planning permission in place, they've got to find you know, architects and designers to map out how it will look. They've got to find a company willing to construct it. You know, I'm not a planning expert at all, but it's a complicated process and I have a lot of sympathy for both the fans that are annoyed about the delay mm. um, and also the owners having to think on their feet a little bit now and to 
get a stadium redevelopment in place. And if I was a fan, I would be annoyed that things aren't moving quicker with both the training ground and the stadium. But when did the UE deal fall through? August. August, right. We're six months, well, okay, five months down the line now. Yeah. You know, surely we should have heard something that's going to happen apart well, from a, a lick of paint in the toilets. Absolutely, and that was the problem when Wilde came out and spoke in December, um, just before, well, early December, I think it was, and gave an update, which wasn't really much of an update. It, it didn't have a huge amount to say. It was just, you know, talks were ongoing. We're trying to consult with people to get the stadium redevelopment sorted. It's evolution, not revolution, the, the, the sort of things that he said before. And But would it not appease the fans to hear... Yes, we've applied for planning permission with the council. Yes, we're working with residents to redevelop the stadium. These are our plans, X, Y and Z. You know, Absol- and look, absolutely. if they don't come off like you, we didn't, I think maybe fans would be understanding that it's out of their control, but at least show some ambition. Yeah, I think that's the, the sort of sticking point at the moment. It's a bit of a, they are at a bit of a crossroads in terms of where the owners sit. Like you say, it's been almost two years. Fans will want to see them investing in real terms they, they want to see investment in players they want to see investment in the stadium that they can see tangible money being put into the club or even with a training ground you know if there's something up there bricks and mortar people will be happy mm. um so i think the next what we five months basically between now and the end of the season is going to be huge mm. do they invest in terms of players do they get the planning permission sorted for the training ground and will there be any updates on the, on the stadium you know, so it's questions questions trust me i'm asking of the board constantly and fans are asking <laughs> me and and We'll get some answers eventually, I'm sure. Yeah. So next weekend, just after the weekend off, Bristol Rivers play Blackpool. What's your thoughts on that one, Jack? Yeah, not an easy game. Um, you know, if the weather stays like this, it'll be horrible up there as well. So it's a tough place to go. And they're a club that are sort of fighting back a little bit now after the, you know, the debacle with their owners. So, yeah, tough away game. They all are in League One, aren't they? But winnable for Rivers, absolutely winnable. You know, assuming Bowden's still there. Maybe they've got one or two in as well. Harrison be well-rested, coming in up front. So they've got plenty, plenty to build on and... Blackpool should be great. Great, thanks, Jack. Well, we'll be back in a fortnight. Uh, we'll have reaction to the latest game, the Blackpool game as well, and transfer news. Who knows who's going to replace Billy Bowden? Gassing out loud.